Welcome to Royally Screwed, my name is Chris Shearer, and it's my honor to take you on a tour through some of history's greatest, worst, and craziest rulers. On this episode, we're talking about pirates, specifically Chinese pirates. Even more specifically, the pirate captains Zheng Yi, Qing Shi, and Qiong Tsai. That middle name, Qing Shi, belongs to the woman who has been called the most successful pirate ever. I've previously covered pirates who operated in the Americas, who are no doubt some of the most famous names in pirate history. But China has a major history of piracy, as do most places with coastline that are big on trade. We'll get more into Chinese piracy in a moment in the background history lesson, but we'll also see this short-lived dynasty of pirates become so powerful that they were able to take on the navy of the Qing dynasty of China. So without further ado, let's begin the story. We're going back in time to China under the Qing dynasty at the turn of the 19th century in Under the Red Flag of Zhang. Let's begin the background lesson by learning about the state of China at the moment, before we learn about its history with pirates. As I said, we are in a period of time in which the Qing dynasty rules China. The Qing reigned from 1644 until 1912 when the Chinese Empire was dissolved into the Republic of China. It replaced the Ming Dynasty, which had previously ruled China for about three centuries. The Qing Dynasty is notable for being led by people who were ethnically Manchu, from the region of Manchuria, rather than the ethnic Han people, who currently make up the vast majority of China. I'll go more into what the Qing Dynasty actually accomplished when I cover a ruler of the dynasty itself. It's in the pipeline of episodes, don't worry. We are currently under the reign of Yongyan, the Jiaqing Emperor who was the sixth emperor of the dynasty. Yongyan ruled from 1796 to 1820. He was the 15th son of the previous emperor, the Qianlong Emperor. His rule was notable for being slightly chaotic, though there were some strong points there as well. For instance, he is the reason the nation of Vietnam has that name. Vietnam has had many names over its long history. We won't go too far into it, but Yongyan forbade the Emperor of Vietnam from changing the name of his nation from Dai Viet to Nam Viet, instead insisting that the nation should be called Vietnam. He was also known for outlawing Christianity within his nation. Part of the Great Qing Legal Code had a section titled Prohibitions Concerning Sorcerers and Sorceresses. In 1811, Yongyan added in additional details that allowed for the condemnation of Christianity within his borders. Europeans who spread Christianity, specifically Catholicism, were sentenced to death. Chinese Christians, who did not repent for the crime of being Christian, were shipped off to the Muslim-majority region of Xinjiang, where they were sold as slaves to the local rulers. Yongyang's rule also saw two different major rebellions, the White Lotus Rebellion and the Miao Rebellion. The Miao Rebellion occurred from 1795 through 1806. It was the second rebellion of the Miao, an ethnic group of people in southern China against the Qing Dynasty. In the regions of Hunan and Guizhou, the emperor had allowed local chieftains to oversee their people as long as they followed the laws of the dynasty. Well, the citizens under Qing Dynasty rule eventually began immigrating into those regions and displacing the locals. The Qing Dynasty, in order to oversee its own people, began replacing the local leadership with its own people. 
this led to conflict with the Miao ethnic group. The rebellion was suppressed and the Miao were forced to assimilate into the Chinese way of life. However, military forces being relocated to deal with the Miao allowed another rebellion to grow. The White Lotus Rebellion occurred from 1794 to 1804. It was led by the followers of the White Lotus Religious Movement, a Buddhist group involved with the preparing for the arrival of the Maitreya Buddha. There's a lot of religious stuff going on there, so look it up if you're interested. The White Lotus sought to overthrow the Manchu-led Qing Dynasty in order to restore the Han-led Ming Dynasty. It was mostly a militia-led rebellion that never ended up succeeding in its goals. Okay, we've talked too much about Xia Qing's rule, let's move on to pirates. We're specifically dealing with piracy in the South China Sea. As the Qing Dynasty grew in size, many local farmers were being kicked off their land in order to make way for urbanization. These disgruntled farmers soon took to the seas in order to make a living, originally as fishermen but eventually by stealing from the empire. The original hotspot for Chinese piracy was actually just over the border in Vietnam. Vietnam was undergoing its own dynastic changes with the Taishan Rebellion. The Lei Dynasty was under threat of being removed and sided with the Qing Dynasty. The Taishan, who would eventually overthrow the Lei, decided to make use of the Chinese pirates living in their country. The pirates were given money and training by the Taishan, making them a formidable force in the South China Sea. Times and alliances changed, as these things tend to happen, and the Taishan dynasty fell only a few years after it got its feet off the ground. The new rulers of Vietnam took a strict stance against the Chinese pirates and nearly destroyed them all. In the ruins of their previous greatness, the pirates originally attacked each other for control of the seas before coming to the realization that they were stronger together than they were as separate crews. In 1805, the pirates of the South China Sea banded together in order to form an alliance. There were six leaders for the seven different fleets within the alliance. The strongest of those fleets was the Red Flag Fleet, under the command of a pirate named Zhang Yi. Zhang Yi was born Zhang Wenxian in 1765 to a family of pirates. He probably took to piracy at an early age given his background and most likely also partook in the Taishan Rebellion. In 1798, during his pirate activities in the Guangdong province of China, he kidnapped a teenage boy named Cheongpo and adopted the kid as his son. Great start to a father-son relationship. But as Zheng Yi's adopted son, Cheongpo experienced a quick rise to power within his new father's fleet. After the change in attitude towards pirates in Vietnam in 1801, Zhang Yi officially decided to call Guangdong his new base of operations. It was a prime location for piracy as it was situated right along the trade routes between Hong Kong and Vietnam. By the next year, Zhang Yi was the pirate chief of Guangdong, a position that had formerly been held by another of his male relatives, either a cousin or uncle. His pirate raids seemed to be indiscriminate of cargo or ship size. He attacked both small fishing vessels as well as the larger merchant ships. Some of those merchant ships were actually intercontinental European traders. They were carrying valuable supplies like silk, spice, tea, silver, and gold. Zhang Yi's escapades made him infamous among the Portuguese sailors so that his fleet became known as the Ladrones, which is Portuguese for thieves. 
In fact, his area of control in Guangdong, a 104-island archipelago in modern times known as the Wanshan Archipelago, was also nicknamed the Ladrona's Islands. And at times when the seas weren't profitable enough, Zheng Yi turned his ships to the shores and attacked the coastal towns. The Europeans tended to be much crueler to capture Chinese pirates than the Chinese were to their European captives. The Europeans were said to torture the local pirates for information over the location of stolen goods, while some sources say that they also did it just out of sadistic pleasure. As I said earlier, Zhang Yi and several other pirate captains decided to join ranks in 1805 in order to form a pirate alliance. The alliance was massive with around 600 total ships under their control, 200 of those belonging to Zhang Yi himself. In order to better coordinate the fleet under the six captains, Zheng Yi had each fleet color code their flags. There were the white flags, the black flags, the green flags, the blue flags, the yellow flags, and Zheng Yi's red flags. The white flag fleet was one of the smaller fleets and usually sailed in conjunction with the red flags. Nowhere was safe now that the pirates were together. As the years went on, Zheng Yi's control of the South China Sea grew. He led his fleet in a blockade of the Portuguese city of Macau, which is in China and still acts as an autonomous region. The blockade was only able to be broken up by intervention from Portuguese warships. By 1806, the South China Sea was firmly under Captain Zhang's control. It was very common for ships, be they simple fishermen or even those intercontinental merchants, to pay Zhang Yi's fleet in return for safe travels through the water. It got to the point where he didn't even need to actually attack a ship to make them give up their goods. The presence of a red flag on a ship was enough to make the bravest sailor know he was in for a bad day. The Qing Dynasty began to grow fearful of Zhang Yi and his alliance's ever-expanding sphere of influence. It also didn't help that the British Navy was beginning to explore the South China Sea. The Qing believed that if the British defeated the pirates, they would simply supplant the thieves and become the new tyrants of the oceans. In order to maintain maritime power, the Chinese government decided to take a stand against the pirate alliance. In September of 1805, the Chinese navy tried to land a decisive blow against Zhang Yi's fleet. Unfortunately, no victory was to be found for the Qing Dynasty. Only 26 of the several hundred ships that were now under Zhang's power were destroyed. There seemed to be no stopping the great pirate captain. Until Zhang Yi died in 1807. By this point, some historians suggest he had as many as 800 ships sailing under his fleet. His fleet meaning the whole pirate alliance, not just the red flag fleet. Then again, I guess as the actual pirate chief, this whole alliance was under his control. But how did such a fearsome and powerful pirate meet his end? No one is entirely sure. There are several different stories that circulate. Most have him dying either in Vietnam or off the coast. Some say his ship was wrecked in a hurricane. Others say he died in a fight. Some people think he simply fell overboard and drowned in some sort of accident. Whichever way is true, the Red Flag fleet was without a leader. For just the briefest amount of time. 
two people quickly came in to take control. The first was Cheng Po Tsai, Zhang Yi's adopted son. The other was Qing Shi, Zhang Yi's wife. Qing Shi is more commonly known by the name Zhang Yi Sao, which more or less translates to the wife of Zhang Yi, or even sometimes just under the name Mrs. Cheng. She was born with the name Shi Yang. It's believed that she was of the Tanka people, an ethnic group also known as the Boat People because they usually lived on boats. The Tonka were considered an entire ethnic group of social outcasts, and many people paint them as the Chinese equivalent of the Romani. She was born in 1775 in the Guangdong province. Not much of her early life is known besides the fact that it's believed that she was a prostitute in a Tonka brothel. She and Zheng Yi married in 1801, and it's presumed that she joined his fleet from there. It was not actually uncommon for Chinese women to become sailors and pirates during these times. And even though she was the wife of the pirate chief, it's clear that she was respected by the other pirates if they decided to make her the new leader of the Red Flag fleet. As for Qing Po Tsai, he was also born in a Tonka community in the district of Xinhui in Guangdong in the year 1783, making him only 8 years younger than Cheng Shi and almost 20 years younger than Zhang Yi. I only bring that up because, well, we'll get there soon enough. The name Qing Po Tsai means Qing Po the Kid. As I said, he was kidnapped by Zhang Yi at the age of 15 in the year of 1801 the same year Zheng Yi and Cheng Shi were married, a very busy year for the family. While he was adopted as Zhang's son, it's also believed that they may have also been in a sexual relationship, which I try not to think about, but boy did that show up everywhere when researching this episode. Homosexuality was pretty common among pirates in both the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans, just like it's common in real life, so hey, be nice to gay people. However, there's plenty of historians who point out that these relationships were not always consensual. There's no good way to properly say that I hope this father and his adopted son were consenting to each other. It only made sense then that someone as close to Zheng Yi as Qing Po Tsai should help lead the Red Flag fleet after Zheng Yi's death. It's believed that Qing Shi and Qing Po were immediately set on working together rather than becoming rivals. It also didn't take long for those two to become lovers, which again, history man, anything you can think of has happened. All the pair needed to do was gain the respect of the other captains of the fleet. Oh wait, they already had that? Cool, so it looked like the new management was settling in just fine. Zheng Yi's death, so in 1808, Qing Shi and Cheng Po had brought Guangdong under their control. The pirate alliance was as fearsome as ever, having a massive following of around 50,000 pirates joined together. Some historians even think it may have numbered over 70,000. They also continued the practice of having basically every ship sailing through the South China Sea pay them protection money. And I don't know if he started doing this now or back when Zhang Yi was still alive, but it's said that Zheng Po wore a costume that consisted of a black turban and a, what I can only assume was peak pirate chic of the time, a purple cloak. 
Cheung Po Sai also drew up his own pirate code. This set of laws had for years been mistakenly attributed to Cheng Shi, but they were in fact written by Cheng Po. One of the emperor's advisors had recorded Cheng Po's code based on his own research and wrote them down in his book Jing Hai Fenji. That book was mistranslated in 1831 in the story History of the Pirates Who Infested the China Sea from 1807 to 1810, which, wow, that's a mighty long title, which was then used as a basis for the book The History of Piracy, which was published in 1932, bringing the lie into the 20th century. That's all not to say that Ching Shi might not have enforced this code, but she was not the one who created the laws. But I bet you're wondering what Chung Po Tsai's pirate code actually was, right? Rule number one. If any pirate goes privately on shore, he shall be taken, his ears mutilated, he will be paraded around the fleet, and executed. Rule number two. Not the least thing shall be taken privately from the stolen and plundered goods, all shall be registered. The pirate receives for himself out of ten parts only two, eight parts belong to the storehouse called the general fund. Those who steal anything out of this general fund shall be executed. And rule number three, women captured from villages shall not be harmed or harassed. All women captives shall be registered, their place of origin recorded, and be given separate quarters. Those who rape or commit adultery with the women captives shall be executed. For the most part, the pirates' enemies, at least those they robbed, were only thrown in a ship's prison. It was only if they actually fought back that the pirates would kill them. We know quite a bit about Ching Shi and Chung Po's captive system thanks to a man named Richard Glasspool. In 1809, Glasspool was sailing on the ship the Marquis of Ely when he was captured by the Red Flag Fleet. Usually, European prisoners would be ransomed since they fetched a higher price than a Chinese prisoner. Richie was kept in Ching Shi's brig for four months, where he later wrote that he survived mostly on a diet of caterpillars and rice. However, he and other European prisoners were forced to join in on the raids the Red Flag fleet made against coastal towns. As a gunnery expert, Glasspool was made to operate the cannons aboard Ching Shi's ship. He also said he believed he was one of the pirate captain's favorites because she would drizzle garlic water over him before battles as a ward against harm. Some sources also say that Glasspool was the one who coined the whole alliance as the Ladrones. Unfortunately, I couldn't find any further information about what happened to Richard after he was let go besides the fact that he wrote a book about his several months aboard Ching Shi's ship. But pirate codes and prisoners aside, I think it's about time we brought in the Ching Navy. <laughs> Besides capturing Richard Glasspool, 1809 was a big year for the Pirate Alliance. The Jiaqing Emperor had finally decided he was through with the pirates terrorizing the South China Sea. In a bizarre ruling, he decided that ocean transportation would be completely outlawed. If anyone wanted to trade or travel, it had to be done on land. Unfortunately, that didn't stop Ching Shi and Cheng Po Sai. They simply changed tactics and started using rivers to terrorize people. Obviously, you can't keep oceans closed forever, so the emperor eventually reversed the law. But strange oceanic laws were the least of the Red Flag fleet's problems. 
At some point during the year, the Qing Navy managed to corner one of Qing Po's allies, a pirate named Kai Qian. Kai Qian was close with Western arms traders through his wife, making him a valuable member of the crew. The popular story says that, knowing he would be unable to escape the navy, Kai Qian shot himself in the head with a golden bullet. In all likelihood, they probably just sunk his ship when he was still aboard. With a major loss under their belt, Qing Shi and Qing Po made a reckless decision. In September of 1809, they captured a Portuguese ship sailing between Macau and Timor. They looted the ship and killed all of the crew. In response, the Senate of Macau decided to take action against the pirates who had long been a thorn in their side. They armed three warships under the command of Captain José Pinto Alcoferrado de Acevedo e Sousa and sent him to deal with the Red Flag fleet once and for all. Hearing about the plans to take on the pirates, the British also supplied the Portuguese with an additional ship. One of the Portuguese ships, the Leon, was ambushed on a supply run by 16 of the Red Flag's ships. The Leon suffered severe losses, which caused most of the crew to mutiny and return to Macau. The captain of the ship then hired a new, more loyal crew and rejoined his comrades. On September 15th, the three Portuguese ships, the British ship just decided to set out for some reason, met up with the Red Flag fleet at the Humen Strait of the Pearl River, known in Portuguese as the Boca do Tigre, meaning the Tiger's Mouth. They were met with 200 ships led by Cheng Po. But the craziest thing happened. Despite being vastly outnumbered, the Portuguese managed to scatter Cheng Po's fleet, resulting in an unexpected major victory for the Portuguese. In November, the Emperor sent emissaries to Macau congratulating them on their victory against the dreaded Red Flag fleet. The Portuguese and Chinese agreed to team up in order to fully snuff out piracy in the South China Sea. China lent 60 ships for the cause, with Macau providing 6. The first battle had been a major loss for Qing Shi and Qing Po Tsai. But that was only the first in a series of conflicts that would come to be known as the Battle of the Tiger's Mouth. On November 29th, the Portuguese, once more under Captain Alcoferrado, decided to rout the Red Flag fleet at the Tiger's Mouth, hoping that the Chinese fleet would be joining them for the battle. This time though, Qing Shi and Qing Po were ready for them. Instead of the Portuguese getting the drop on the pirates, it was the pirates who intercepted the Portuguese on their way to the Human Strait. And the Portuguese won again, and that was even without the help of the Chinese Navy. They managed to sink an additional 15 ships in the initial conflict, which lasted 9 hours by the way. The pirates retreated only to immediately try attacking again, which only led to further losses on their side. And thus, the second battle was decided. Zero to two for our pirate captains. Chung Po once more decided he would take action and led his fleet towards Macau on December 11th. However, once more the Portuguese were more than willing to wage war against the pirates. And once more the Red Flag fleet lost more ships and the battle. With his tail between his legs, Chung Po decided to try to make friends with Captain Alcoferrado, but the Portuguese refused any sort of peace treaty with the pirates. 
To make matters even worse, the Black Flag fleet under the command of a pirate named Kuo Potai, who had previously refused to lend aid when the Red Flag fleet attempted their attack back in November, decided he'd had enough of Qingxi and Chengpo. The Black Flag fleet decided to leave the Alliance, taking all of the 100 ships under Kuo Potai's command. And even worse, they didn't just leave the Alliance. Kuo's fleet took a pardon offered by the Qing Dynasty, joining the side of the Chinese Navy. With three losses under his belt, what else could Qingpo do besides throw every last bit of power he had towards defeating Macau? I mean, he could have just not done that, but I guess that wasn't really Qingpo's size style. Throughout January of 1810, Xiongpo engaged in several smaller conflicts around Lantau Island, which is an island off the coast of Hong Kong which in modern times is the home to Hong Kong Disneyland. Xiongpo had 300 ships with 20,000 pirates at his command. However, these massive numbers proved to be the downfall of the Red Flag fleet. The Portuguese were once more massively outnumbered in terms of ships, but the pirates kept sailing in the paths of each other, making it very difficult to aim their guns and cannons at the Portuguese ships, but very easy for the Portuguese to aim at the pirates. Captain Alcoforado noticed that one of the pirate ships had been transformed into what looked like a floating pagoda, a tiered tower structure that usually served as a Buddhist or Taoist temple. Alcoforado ordered his men to fire at the pagoda ship, sinking it. As soon as the pagoda was gone, the Red Flag fleet broke apart and scattered into the Hyangsan River to head inland. Why was there a pagoda boat in the Red Flag fleet? Man, who knows? Probably to act as some sort of morale for the fleet? I saw in some places that Po had taken a group of monks under his wing at some point, maybe the boat belonged to them? But anyways, the Red Flag fleet had been defeated once and for all as the Portuguese blocked all entrances into the ocean. After two weeks of the pirates being kept inland, in early February of 1810, there was no other choice but to surrender. Alcoforado decided he himself would go meet Po Tsai and sailed a small dinghy into the Hyangsan River. He boarded Chungpo's flagship and began discussing the terms of the pirates' surrender. I've seen conflicting sources as to whether Qingxi actually participated in the Battle of the Tiger's Mouth or joined Chungpo after his defeat. Chungpo agreed to sign terms of surrender if they could bring in the High Judge of Macau to act as an arbiter for the deal. So, on February 21st, 1810, the pirates, the Portuguese navy, the viceroy of Guangdong and Guangxi, and the high judge of Macau met to finalize the terms of surrender of the Red Flag fleet to the Qing dynasty. Despite what had originally seemed like a day where things would be smoothed over, negotiations began to fall apart when the Qing viceroy refused the demands of Qingxi and Qingpo such as retaining 5,000 sailors under their control so they could enter the salt trading business. On April 18th, Qingxi sailed the 260 ships under her direct control to the Canton Harbor in modern-day Guangzhou. She finalized a terms of surrender and demanded a pardon from the Qing dynasty. 
Under these new terms, Chengpo would get to keep 20 of the ships under his control if he joined the Qing Navy, and the entire Red Flag fleet would be able to keep any money and property they had pirated over the years. A very generous solution. And with that, the Red Flag Fleet, one of the most feared crews to sail about the South China Sea, was disbanded. It's said that from there, some of the former fleet decided to take up jobs as pirate hunters since it allowed them to stay on the sea. Qingxi and Qingpo were eventually married in an official ceremony. I'm just gonna try to completely forget that they were at any point adopted mother and son here. They had at least one child together, maybe two. Chungpo would spend most of his life at sea in the navy, even going so far as to defeat his former allies, the Blue Flag Fleet. Qingxi moved back to Guangdong where she opened up a gambling house that was probably a front for smuggling operations. You can take the woman out of piracy, but you can't take the piracy out of the woman. Chungpo died at sea in 1822. Qingxi would die 22 years later in 1844 at the age of 69 after what's recorded as having been a relatively peaceful life. The pair were the most powerful pirates of the time, probably the most powerful and successful pirates ever if you look at the size of the Red Flag fleet at its height. The only thing you might be able to argue about is who was actually the more successful of the two. I had to make a lot of decisions when actually writing this episode because depending on who you're actually researching, historians will either say Qingxi or Chengpo Tsai were the focal point of the action. Some say Qingxi was the leader during the Battle of the Tiger's Mouth. Some say Chengpo was the one who demanded the pardon in April of 1810. And no one really agrees on who held all the power within the Red Flag Fleet. For complete transparency, most people will say that Qingxi was the leader and most successful pirate ever because sources that were mistranslated into English over the years somehow completely fail to mention Chengpo Tsai. In my personal opinion, the pair were probably equal partners in leading the Red Flag Fleet. If they weren't, I'm sure one of them would have betrayed the other at some point, as pirates do. So, in the spirit of the Red Flag Fleet, remember that piracy and stealing aren't crimes if you've been put in a system that exploits the lower classes out of a path to success. If you see someone shoplifting basic needs, don't stop them. But for now, that's it for this week's episode of Royally Screwed. I hope you enjoyed the journey. Be sure to subscribe to the show, tell a friend, and subscribe to the Denim Creek page on Twitter and Instagram for more info about each episode. Next time, we're taking a trip back to the Eastern Mediterranean to cover the life of a man whose philosophies and practices gave us the English word assassin and inspired one of the best-selling video game series of the last decade. It's the tale of Hassan Isaba and the Order of Assassins. I hope you'll join me then for another topsy-turvy look into history's most interesting rulers. <laughs>